so I, for the past few months, have been studying um, the book of Hosea. And it's like, I love Old Testament prophets. It's not what a lot of Bible people say, but I really love the Old Testament prophets. Um, but I also, you guys, I love a good love story. Is anybody with me? You love it like, like Jane Austen is my girl. You give me that pride and prejudice and that sense and sensibility, and I'm like, ugh. That movie Titanic, man, all the feels, right? Any romantic comedy, I'm your girl. I don't care if you think that's lame. I love them. I love them. And uh, so here's the thing about the book of Hosea that we're looking at um, this week, and then we'll, we'll talk about it again in a few weeks. It's not that kind of love story. Hosea is a love story, but it's not that kind of love story. Or at least it doesn't look that way in the beginning. But in truth, it is a love story, and it's one that has huge implications for us as we follow Christ. So we're going to read a little bit of the book of Hosea, and then we'll, we'll like talk and, uh, and break down these verses. But we're just going to jump right in and look at Hosea chapter 1. It says this, The Lord gave this message to so- Hosea, son of Beeri, during the years when Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah were kings of Judah. And Jeroboam, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, was king of Israel. When the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to him, this gives us some context of like when it's happening. That's the point of all those names, okay? We can talk about that more in a minute. But all those names, they're there for a reason. And they're confusing, but they make sense if you learn about them. Um, but God says this. He's like, this is what I want you to do, Hosea, in verse 2. He said, go and marry a prostitute so some of her children will be conceived in prostitution. Does that sound like fun? No. No. It says, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea, he's saying, you get to be a living life picture of how my people are treating me. doesn't sound like much fun to be Hosea. So Hosea married Gomer, the daughter of Dibalim, and she became pregnant and gave Hosea a son. And the Lord said, name the child Jezreel, for I'm about to punish King Jehu's dynasty to avenge the murders he committed at Jezreel. In fact, I'll bring it into Israel's independence, and I'll break its military power in the Jezreel Valley. Soon Gomer became pregnant again and gave birth to daughter. And the Lord said, name your daughter Lo-Ruhamah. Not loved, for I will no longer show love to the people of Israel or forgive them, but I will show love to the people of Judah. I will free them from their enemies, not with weapons and armies or horses and chariots, but with my power as the Lord their God. So after Gomer weaned Lo Ruhama, she again became pregnant. This girl having lots of babies. And she gave birth to a second son, and the Lord said, Name him Lo Ami, which means not my people, for Israel is not my people and I am not their God. Yet the time will come when Israel's people will be like the sand of the seashore, too many to count. Then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, it will be said, you are the children of the living God. Then the people of Judah and Israel will unite together and they will choose one leader for themselves and they will return from exile together. What a day that will be, the day of Jezreel, when God again will plant his people in the land. So, Congrats, today you've read a whole chapter of the Bible, if you followed along. Okay, 
Um, because I love the Bible, and I, I often read big chunks of it because I want you to, to like see the whole picture and, and get it in context. But so Hosea, he gets this calling. I don't know about you guys, but if God started to speak to me, like a lot of times we're like, God, speak to me. Show me your will for my life, right? Anybody ever prayed that? Yeah, totally prayed that. So what if you were praying that prayer and you're sitting up in your dorm room or your apartment and God speaks and he's like, Joanna, and he gave you this calling. You're like, maybe. I don't actually want to hear from you after all, God. Like, and God has a point in this, but this was a tough calling to obey this thing. Hosea had to be really sure that he loved the Lord, really sure that he wanted to obey God no matter what, right? So God speaks something tough to you, it is, it is not an easy thing to do. So a little background, Hosea was a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel. So at this point in Israel's history, there was one nation, they split. So there's northern kingdom, Israel, southern kingdom, Judah. And um, the northern kingdom, they had become really corrupt. They had had um, the string of kings that were corrupt and they were involved in idol worship and they were leading the people into sin. And so that's the environment that Hosea is then called into is this nation that like generation after generation after generation, the kings have been corrupt and it's led the people astray and they're not following after God. And also up until this point, Israel had had the, the patriarchs as like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right? And, and Joseph. And then they had Moses and the judges and kings and there were lots of rules and there were lots of writings. And then at the prophets, something starts to shift, and we have Hosea, and he has some contemporaries, Isaiah, Amos, and Micah, who are all prophets around this time. There's this shift in tone, and each of these prophets, they're picking up on a theme that has to do not just with rules and writings, but with what's going on in the heart of the people as they worship God, or maybe as they don't worship God, or don't sincerely worship God. but suffice to say, at this point in the message, the prophets are really interesting, and they were coming on the scene with like this this fresh idea and this fresh message that had that was really different from what the people had heard up until this point. Up until this point, there were many many rules and many many like do this, don't do that, you know. And the prophets come in and he's like, man, like what's going on with your heart, and and like do you even love the Lord? And, and that would have been radically different for these people. Um. So like I said, I've been studying this book for the past few months, and I find it completely captivating, y'all. Like, I find this story captivating. And it, at first glance, it's a little bit like, what is the story, and why on earth is it in the Bible, right? Because, like, a lot of times we say, read the Bible. It's going to encourage you. It's going to lift you up. It's going to show you what you are in Christ, right? I mean, and it, and it will. But sometimes we have things like the book of Hosea, and you're like, what on earth is this doing here? Well, it's all there to teach us something. And as I've kind of like dug into this, the Lord has been teaching me and it, like to the point that I'm just like, I'm completely captivated by this book. And um, in general, I love literature. Some of you guys who know me well know I love to read. Like I love to read. And when I'm reading literature, right, and, and not stuff that's like historical, usually I find myself, if it's a good book, identifying with one of the characters, right? And, and I'm sure you guys can relate. Like you read a book and you're like, oh, if I were in this story, I'd be like this one, right? And we even do that with TV shows. You're like, oh, you know, I'm this character or, or whatever. 
but it's like I usually find myself really identifying with one of the characters. So what's really interesting with the book of Hosea is I find myself identifying with two, with two characters. And so we're gonna talk about each of them and kind of unpack this a little bit. Um, but so the two characters, they're Hosea, right? He's the prophet, and they're Gomer. She's the prostitute, which is maybe not one of those characters that I really wanted to identify with. But when I kind of look at like what she's doing, and and like how the story unfolds, I realize that like man, me and Gomer got a lot in common. Um, so we're gonna look at this, and we'll kind of like unpack it. So Hosea. When we look at verses 1 and 2, Hosea's God-given job was to show the people of this northern kingdom of Israel that they'd been unfaithful to God. They've been unfaithful to God. God is being portrayed in this picture as a faithful husband and provider, and Hosea is supposed to show them that instead of trusting this faithful husband God provider, they're prostituting themselves to the gods of Canaan, which is like these false gods that they're chasing after. And he's like, I'm your God, so when you go after those, it's like you're sleeping around. Like, like that's the analogy there. Um, and you guys, like, because when I, I read the Bible or read any story, I really put myself in it. The more I read this, and, and it's like a short book, like you could go home tonight and read it in 45 minutes and be done, the whole book of Hosea. Um, so I've read it several times through as I've been, like, studying it and preparing this. But every time I study it, every time I read through it, I think, can you imagine, can you imagine having to deliver this message? Like, can you imagine you're Hosea, and God's like, you're going to do this, and then you're going to tell the people, you are like a prostitute. Like, I, I, can't, I can't quite imagine and wrap my head about around doing that. Um, and then God tells him to be this living sermon illustration. And can you imagine how Hosea must have felt when God told him, I want you to go get a wife, and she's going to cheat on you, and she's going to leave you, and she's going to do you wrong. And that's what I want you to do. You know, and he's probably like, God said, what? You know, that's, that's not what we're dreaming of, right? Like, a lot of times, if, if you're single, which y'all are, we're not. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you're not married, I was like, Beck and Trayvon aren't here, okay? Like, we have some married um, but, but like if you're not married, you're like dreaming about, um, and what, I mean, not only married, but, married here, right? but like, so you, if you're not married, you're dreaming about this person. You're like, man, this is what I'm looking for in a godly guy. Or guys, you might be like, this is what I'm looking for in a girl. Cause someday I want to have a wife. Like, okay, this, like Gomer, this is not what you are going to be looking for. Right. But God's saying, I'm going to have you connect this, to this wife and you're going to be a living sermon illustration. And um, Hosea, like, uh, if we're honest, we really are going to like look at him and, and kind of put ourselves in his shoes and we think, Hosea may not have wanted to do this. Right? He may not have wanted to do this, but ultimately he obeyed God. And so, just a little takeaway, and there's going to be questions all through this, but if God asks you to do something difficult and out of the box, would you do it? Would you obey him? If God started to speak to you and he spoke to you, hey, Sarah, I want you to go do this crazy thing. And, it, and I'm speaking to you and you know it's the Lord, right? You know it's the Lord. Like, and, and you're like, maybe 
that was some spicy tacos, and I'm not sure about it, so you sit down with Pastor Matt, and he's like, no, I really think it's the Lord, you know, like, I mean, you can confirm it, but if God really started speaking to you to do something that was hard and uncomfortable, would you do it? Right? And like, just out of the gate, like, first three verses, every time I read this, it challenges me, because I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, if God spoke something this hard to me, if I would be like Hosea. I really don't know, but I think that's a question we need to ask ourselves. And here's the thing about Hosea. If you read the book, he's faithful. He does it. He obeys God. Um, and you guys, it shows us that Hosea, he values God over his own comfort. Like, way more than his own comfort. He values God and being obedient to him. And I think that's really important for, for us, because sometimes, you guys, ministering to the people around us is uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. It's inconvenient. Right? How many of you guys have ever done like a ministry thing and you're like, I really want to go out and I want to tell somebody about Jesus and, and I want to make an impact and it's been like really convenient. It's not convenient. It like wrecks your whole schedule, right? Like, like it's uncomfortable and convenient. But sometimes, a lot of times, to obey God and follow God, it is. It's going to put us in a place that's uncomfortable. So that's Hosea's a little bit about like his character, right, and who he is. Then we have Gomer. And the Bible does not tell us much about Gomer except for her dad's name. But in the Bible, just like a little nugget for when you study it on your own, names are always there for a reason. If somebody's name, there's a reason behind that name. And so her dad's name means seller of raisin cakes. Well, that, yeah, right? Seller of raisin cakes. Okay. But in Hosea and Gomer's day, raisins were considered aphrodisiac. And they were used in worshiping Baal. So people would get these raisin cakes that was thought to produce um, these feelings, right? And Baal's this false Canaanite god. And her dad's name means that he sells these cakes that put people in the state as they go to worship the false gods. So it's fair to say that her dad was maybe kind of sneezy. Like, she maybe did not grow up in a healthy situation, right? Um, and perhaps, like, the home that Gomer grew up in and the situation she grew up in, it was not the healthiest and the best of places. What we do know is that Hosea is told to marry a prostitute, and he marries Gomer. So we can infer from that action, based on what he was said, that she was either already working as a prostitute, or she was at least a woman with a really promiscuous reputation. Because like Hosea might obey God. So we know at least at this point, she is a promiscuous person. It also seems that perhaps Gomer didn't give up her promiscuous ways when she got married, because again, names, right? Because as y'all pick up on, these kids got some interesting names. All right, these kids have some very interesting names. And the first one is Jezreel. And it means that, that God's going to punish Israel for what King Jehu did. And he did some crooked stuff. You can read about that in First uh, Kings and Second Kings. Um, and so that, that name, it's like weird. It's prophetic, but it's, it's not that bad. But then the second child gets this name, Lo-Rahama, which means not love. God's like, tell that kid that your wife just had... Their name is not loved, right? And, and you st- the red flags start to go up, and you're like, hmm, okay? And then the last one's name is Loami, which means not my people. If, 
your dad were to name you, not mine. I mean, so it's like God is speaking, it's a prophetic name, but it's also like the kid's name is not mine. Like that's, that's awkward. So it tells us like maybe the, the home situation was, was not super happy. Um, so God had told Hosea to marry Gomer and that this would be a picture of the relationship between himself and Israel. So this is a relationship of, between God and Israel. Often, when we read about God's relationship to Israel in the Old Testament, it has something to teach, about, teach us about our relationship to God. So in this context, Hosea is like God and Gomer is like Israel or us. And so I guess I'm being like Hosea, right? Because I'm comparing all of us to a prostitute. Um, but let's take a look at Israel, okay? So we're talking about Gomer. Let's take a look at Israel and see what they're doing and see if the shoe fits, okay? Before we decide, like, okay, I identify with this or not. I've already told you. The more I studied this, the more I was like, I have a lot in common with Gomer, okay? So I'm at least calling myself comparable in my heart and in, in how my heart goes wiggly, okay? But we'll see. We'll see what Israel did, and then we'll look at how that relates to us. So the last six kings of Israel, like we said, have been especially wicked. This means that they led people in the northern kingdom into idol worship. That was wicked. It offended God. It often included temple prostitution. So it's possible that Gomer was actually found like as a temple prostitute, and so she was involved in the worship of Baal. Also from her dad's name, we can guess that. Um, the kings and the people had started to worship other gods, and they had started to trust in other nations for their protection. Um, now, Israel, they were supposed to trust in God for their protection. So when, when enemies came against them, they were supposed to pray, and they were supposed to seek God, and he was going to deliver them. But instead, they started turning to foreign nations and making negotiations for them to help. Okay? Well, what's wrong with that? Well, A, because God said, you don't need that. You have me, and that's enough. And B, as they started to negotiate with these foreign nations, started to learn the culture of these foreign nations, they started to take it on. And so then we have this idolatry that, that comes on the scene. And so the people start worshiping these other gods. What's wrong with that? They have the one true God. If you have God that is almighty, created heaven and earth, holds all things together, works all things for our good, do you need another God? Do you need another God? No. No, but they were worshiping other gods. And um, Hosea chapter 2 talks about this. And it talks about Israel as if Israel were Gomer, the wayward bride. And it says this in Hosea 2 8. It says, She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold, but she gave all my gifts to Baal. So it's like the people of Israel depicted as Gomer in this, right? Like, God has blessed them. He's given them everything they need. And they're sitting there and they're like, thank you, Baal. Like, they've just completely mixed it up. And they think that what the good things that, that happen are coming from this false god, not from the one true God who's actually giving it to them. And Hosea 4, 12 echoes that. It says, they ask a piece of wood for advice. They think a stick can tell them the future. Okay, this is a little bit of, of sarcastic humor here. Longing after idols has made them foolish, and they've played the prostitute, serving other gods and deserting their God. 
so, I mean, and it's, this is supposed to be like, like a little bit of play on words that's supposed to like jab a little bit. He's like, I'm the one true God and you're over there talking to a stick, asking it to help you. And like, we can see that now because a lot of times like here in America, we don't struggle with like physical wooden idol worship. We're not gonna make fun of it because like it happens. I promise you it happens in the city. It happens in this nation, it happens around the world. Like there are still people that literally um, like worship totems. So it's, it's not that far removed, but a lot of times in America, we don't have like the physical idol thing. Um, but the big problem here with Israel is that they're trusting in other gods instead of worshiping the one true God. And they get stuck in idolatry. Like in Austin, when we're dealing with sin, a lot of times it looks enticing to you get stuck. And you can't get out. Right? And, and it's almost as if I was listening to a missionary speak last night and she was talking about her time of, of missions in the Philippines. And she was talking about this lady that her husband went to buy belts at the market in the Philippines, right? And he buys this belt and he gives her the money and she starts like hitting everything else in the shop with it, like she's like. Because the thought is that if she does this, it'll make it a prosperous and lucky day and she's trusting by doing this that the gods are gonna bless her. And so the, the missionary husband said, ma'am, you don't have to do that. And so they started talking, she's like, oh, you're a born again believer too. And, and he's like, yeah, I'm a born again believer in Jesus Christ. What are you, like, what are you? Because you're doing this. And she said, well, I, I trust in Jesus Christ, but I do this just in case. And you guys, when she said that, I was like, that is such a good example of why we let our hearts just veer a little bit. Because it's like, well, I trust in God. I trust in Jesus Christ. But then, well, I read my horoscope just in case. <laughs> right? Or, or like, I get in, and, and I mean, we can laugh about it, but it's like people do it. It's like we can get into like tarot cards because I want to know what happened just in case. Right? Or, or like we, we start like putting crystals around just in case. Right? I mean, it can get, get even as crazy as like angel figurines. They're like, people will put them up and they're like, well, it'll protect me. I'm like, if you have Jesus Christ, Right, son of like the most high God. Do you do you need any other protection? No. No, when we know who we are in Christ, we, we can trust that. But like that's kind of a picture of like why any idolatry happens, it's like just in case. Um so Israel is trusting in other gods instead of worshiping the one true God. And so today, like we said, we may not be tempted to see like one of those tiger statues out on campus. They're not idols, they're tiger statues. But you're not gonna feel temptation to run over and be like, please let the tigers win, right? Like we're not gonna do that, hopefully. If you do that, you should do it surrounding, you're probably gonna be like, that's weird. Because <laughs> that's, that's not what we do in America, but we still struggle with idolatry. So what is an idol? Well, Jennifer Rothschild, who wrote a book on Hosea, she says this. An idol is anything that we set up along with or instead of God. So it's anything we go to instead of God or it's anything we go to along with God. And I think that's the place, the along with, where a lot of us get stuck because we, we trust Jesus, but we trust Jesus and. And, and when it, that and comes in, that's the problem. And Jesus talks about this in uh, the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And the word that he uses for pure there 
it means that nothing is added on or mixed in. Right? To be pure, it means that it's, it's just that. So a heart that is just after God. It's not a heart that's after God and this, or God with this. It's just a heart that's after God. Um, so there's nothing mixed in or added on. So to have a, a pure heart or, or a heart that's fully for God, it's not going to have anything else with it. It's not Jesus and it's not just in case. It's just after Jesus. So some think about money or status when they think of modern day idols. An imbalanced desire for acceptance and obsessive need for personal significance. A selfish commitment to pleasure. Those can all be considered idols. And we have an elevated desire or need for any of those things in order to give us identity or a sense that we are complete. That's a symptom of idolatry. But here's the real idol behind all of those, itself. Itself. Because when we are running to money or security or pleasure or power, who are we putting first? I'm putting me first when I go over those things, right? And so a lot of times the idol that we struggle with so much is ourself. And I would beg to say that even if you go to another country where they literally worship statues and totems, they're worshiping that thing because they want to be in control and they want what they can get from it, and it's still so. So idolatry, like almost all the time, it's like I'm more interested in what I can get and what works for me than I am in God. And that's, that's the whole like, heart behind it. So anything we prioritize instead of or alongside with God is an idol. And that includes me. That includes ourselves. And so if idolatry, or looking out for number one, as we've kind of defined it, is spiritual prostitution, well, guys, I'm guilty. Right? Because there are so many times that I'm just like, well, I care about Jesus, but I care about Jesus and what this can do for me. Or Jesus and, and it's like, the second I've stepped into that and, man, my heart has veered just ever so slightly off track. And it's, it's not after God completely anymore. That and is coming. So that gives us another question. Is there anything taking the place of God in your life? Are you trusting in anything else instead of God? Are you relying on yourself more than you are relying on God? Right? Is there anything you're going to that's taking God's place in your life? And so Gomer, Gomer had a, uh, a good thing going with Hosea. What do you think? He was like good, godly man, loved her, was going to take care of her. But she got kind of confused and she wanted to go after other lovers. And it might, it might just be that like that was her habit. That was kind of how she had grown up. She probably didn't grow up in a good environment. We've, we've already figured that out, right? So, so she just, she went after something that was fake instead of going after like this really true, healthy relationship. And sometimes we can't, we can't relate to that. So here's this really goofy example, which also came from Ross Child, but I thought it was really, really, really neat. So, okay, in 1985, most of us were not born, right? Um, but the Coca-Cola company, Coca-Cola company was a billion dollar company. They were selling Coke, not just in the United States, all over the world, everyone loved it. But they thought, we can do better. 
we can do better. They got greedy, y'all. So they decided to make Coke even better, just a little bit sweeter. And if they could do this, then people would, would buy even more, right? So it was like, there's a good thing. They were like, no, we can do better. We can make more money. Okay, well, it was a disaster. And people started writing in, and they were like, we hate New Coke. It was called New Coke. They hated New Coke. It's too sweet. People didn't like it. They wanted the real thing. And that was like, for years, their slogan was like, Coca-Cola classic, and that's why it's classic. The real thing, and Coke actually had to like get rid of New Coke and bring it back. Now, we cannot relate, maybe, to what New Coke tastes like, because we don't have that anymore, but I brought this. And uh, <laughs> this is Pepsi. I'm from Atlanta, y'all. It's like the world of Coke, literally, in Atlanta. Okay, but it's like so. If you came from Atlanta, you grew up on Coca-Cola. All you've ever drank is Coca-Cola, and you want a Coca-Cola, and you were to call your husband, and you were like, "I need a Coca-Cola," and he was like, "Here's this Pepsi. Is this the real thing?" It's not the real thing. And like some of y'all are not soda drinkers, we we already talked about. Like some of y'all are not soda drinkers, and you're like, "What's the difference? It's not the same." There's Coke and there's Pepsi, and usually, if you've tried both, you fall on one side or the other of this dividing line. And um, whatever, I still love you, but you're wrong. Um, You know, and, and it's like. If you were to really, really be craving a Coke and somebody would hand you a Pepsi, you'd take one sip and be like, this is not. This is not the real thing, right? And if you were to be pra- craving a Pepsi and I were to hand you a Coke, you would take one sip and you'd be like, mm, this is not what I want it. Because they're not the same thing, right? Like, one's the real thing, one's not. And we're talking about at least the new Coke and the Coke, right? And I think it's such a silly example, but it, like, it's an example of what we all do. Right, it's like we have a good thing, like what Coca-Cola did, we have a good thing with God. Like he loves us, he gives us adoption, he saves us, he makes us right with him, and then we're like, mm, this Coke could be a little sweeter, we can make just a little bit more money. And wait, what, what if, and, and like just that what if of like, maybe it could be a little better. And chasing after that what if, man, we come up with some abomination like we hope only worse because it's sin and it leads to bondage <laughs> right? and, and, like, and it's like but but we just lost track of the fact that like the real thing was good the real thing is good and i think that's what happened with gomer that's like look y'all some of you, some of y'all are not parents like two four of us are parents okay but it's like well i was counting them and i was like i also so four of us are parents, and it's like, man, like, you get married, and you're excited, and you are loving life, and your spouse is, like, the best thing ever. That's where Rebecca and Trey are, and they're, like, out on a date probably doing some fun because, like, they just got married, and they're in that puppy love, and it's great, right? And then you have one baby, and they're super cute, and, like, nobody's baby has ever been cuter than your one baby. Like, and nobody's baby will ever be cuter than, than your one baby. And then you have a second baby, and, like, well, maybe that baby's cuter than the first baby. But... Like, you love your babies, and no babies are as good. And then you have, like, a third baby, and you're, like, at home, and there's a laundry pile, and you haven't washed your hair in four days. 
and one baby's crying and the other baby has a dirty diaper and the husband's like super busy and gone and I'm just saying like Gunnar was probably like what am I doing? Right? And it's like she had a good thing but just in this moment of exhaustion and vulnerability and we do this in the Christian life, right? Like we have a bad day and we're like was life not better? No. No, it wasn't better. We're in bondage and sin but we just get tired and, and we probably just need to go do a really spiritual thing and curl under 10 quilts and take a nap and spend some time with Jesus and the whole world will be fine. But it's like, we don't, we don't reach out. We don't say, I need this Jesus time. We don't, you know, and, and I just, I think the more I like think about Gomer and her situation, I'm like, I can see how she got there. Like, I can see how she just was like, what am I doing? And, she, and so she left. That's what the Bible says. It tells us she left. She traded this good marriage that she had with Hosea and she went back to other lovers um, but here's here's the good news in that and talking about that or like I already said look at Hosea as a love story right so she she leaves she loses sight of, of who she is and then if we look at chapter 3 we find Gomer has left home and she's found herself not just back in sin, but she is literally in bondage and in slavery. Um, today we would say that she's become trapped in the human trafficking industry. And so, how? How did that happen? How do you go from like this, this great marriage and, and you've got three kids and, and things are going good to being like literally stuck in the human trafficking industry? Y'all, this happens. This happens in Memphis. It's like she lost sight of who she was. She lost sight of the fact that she was Hosea's wife, she was loved, she was cared for, and she went back to what she knew, which was trying to take care of herself and find her own satisfaction. And it left her in bondage. So we're gonna look at what Hosea does, right? Because remember, it's love. In Hosea 3, it says this. Then the Lord said to me, Go and love your wife again, even though she commits adultery with another lover. This will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel, even though the people have turned to other gods and love to worship them. So I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley and a measure of wine. So God says, I want you to go, Hosea. I want you to get your wife, and I want you to buy her back. And it says he buys her back, and if... If you do like the, the Bible math and you look at historically like how much this was worth, it was the price of a slave. He pays the price of a slave to get his wife back. But he goes and he gets her and he does it. And then he says, says that I said to her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will not have sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. And this shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or prince, without sacrifices, sacred pillars, priests or even idols, but afterwards the people would return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendant, their king. And in the last days they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. So Hosea goes and he buys her back and he, he recommits himself to her. And you guys in that moment, Hosea, he may have needed to love God more than he loved Gomer to obey and do this thing. Like he may have needed to love God and, and love God and obey God more than he even loved his wife to be able to like get himself to do this action. 
Um, it wasn't an easy thing to do, but he brought her back and he loved her. And so what I love about this is like, you guys, this is what God has done for us. This is literally what Jesus has done for us. In Romans 5.8, it says that while we were yet sinners, God loved us. God, God didn't wait until we cleaned up our acts. He didn't wait until we started to sin not so much. He didn't wait until we looked good or we dressed right. right. While we were in sin, God loved us. He didn't choose to love us because we were particularly lovable. Instead, he sent his one and only son into this broken, sinful world. A world where he would be rejected and mistreated and murdered for us. To buy us back, to love us, and to restore our relationship with himself. So Hosea is just a picture. Like, Hosea was a real guy, but his, his relationship was just a picture. But Jesus Christ is God wrapped in human flesh who did this for each and every one of us. In this story, we're like Gomer, and it means that we're loved. Right? Because if you read this story about Gomer and all you see is a prostitute, you completely miss the point. Gomer is a girl that came from a really bad situation and she had a time where she wandered off and she was wayward again. And every time, her husband left her and brought her back. Gomer was loved. And even when we don't deserve it, we have a God that loves us and will stop at nothing to bring us back to himself. Right? That's what Jesus, when he died on the cross, that's what that's about, is that he loved us and he realized that our sin is separating us from God and keeping us from relationship with God and he could fix it because he was sinless. He was going to be a perfect sacrifice. And so that's why he had to die on the cross and then three days later when he rose again, that he conquered that sin, right? And, and every single one of us were invited to be a part of that relationship with God, right? Every single one of us we're invited to be in relationship through Christ with God to be saved and redeemed, which literally means brought back, right? From from sin and from all the things that, that sin does to us. We're to be free in Christ and, and receive salvation in Christ. That's amazing. That's amazing. So in this story I said, identify with both of the characters. The first is Gomer, kind of easy to see why. Um, at least for me, it's easy to see why. The second is Hosea, and so like, I'm not Jesus. Okay, not Jesus. Um, but I think that there are times that calls me and you to share his love with other, other people. And I think there's times that he calls us to love the unlovable. Like I think there's times that he challenges us to love that person that they are not particularly lovely to me. The Lord's like, you're, you're going to go to them, you're going to love them anyways, right? Sometimes God calls us to love difficult, pe- difficult people so he can change them by showing them his love through us. That's not easy, but I believe it's the way that God loves us and, and uses us to love his people. I really do. Why? Well, that's how we use Jesus Christ, Right? Like he sent Jesus to, to love some, some people that were difficult. I don't know about you guys, I'm difficult. So I think about Jesus loving me. He did not get like this easy time of it where like the first time somebody preached, Jesus loves you, I was like, oh, I want to know him. No, y'all, I ran. I was like in so much sin and mess when I finally came to Christ, right? 
And so if, if Jesus loves difficult people, and we're supposed to be like Jesus, I think we're called to love difficult people sometimes too. And maybe something that God's challenging you tonight to do, to be part of the greatest love story ever of seeing the broken and the lost and the unlovable find true love in Jesus Christ. And that might not be easy, but it's worth it. And I think in those moments, if we can be like Hosea and we can love God more than we love the person, it'll enable us to love the person. Like when we're like, God, I love you so much that I want to obey you that I'm going to do everything I can to love this person. Our focus is on God. He'll enable us to love the person. So where are you in the love story? Where are you in the love story? Um, Are you like Gomer and maybe you need a relationship with Christ? Maybe you don't even know that you're his beloved, right? Or are you putting other things where God should be? Like when we talked about idolatry, you know? Or are you like Hosea and God's calling you to love some somebody or, or some people that are unlovable for the sake of his kingdom? Um, we're going to take a few minutes to pray. I just encourage you to like think about that question. Who are you in this love story? And we'll pray for those three things. Um, so Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. That, Lord, it's, it's amazing. And Lord, we thank you that you're not afraid to address every issue of life. Lord Jesus, that you can show us the fact that you love us through the story of, of a woman that was stuck in human trafficking in ancient Israel. But God, you do. Um, you don't shy away from that. And Lord, we thank you that Jesus, that's a picture, Hosea, loving Gomer, of what you've done for us. And um, Lord, we pray that you would just help that truth to sink deeply into our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name. And so you guys, uh, you can keep your heads bowed, but is there anybody here that would say, man, I need to know that I'm that beloved. I need a relationship with Christ. Would you pray for me with, about that tonight? Is there anybody that would say that? You can raise your hand. Thank you. Is there anybody that would say, man, I've really been struggling with putting other things or myself where God should be? Everybody says, you know, I think God might be calling me to love those that are unlovable. Yeah. Oh Lord, you see these. God, for those that want relationship with you. Lord, I pray that in this moment, Lord, that they would just in their own heart take a moment to to tell you, Lord, that they need you, they love you. Lord, they trust you to be their Lord and Savior. God, to help them to live for you. In Jesus' name, and Lord, I pray for those that um, are struggling with putting things where you should be in their life, God, that you would, as they pursue you, as they seek you, as they spend time in prayer and in your word, God, that you would um, just undo those other affections, and God, give them a heart that's for you alone. And God, I pray for those that you're calling. Um, maybe it's even a specific person on their mind that you're calling them to love, or Lord, maybe it's, it's a part of the population you're calling them to serve. 
whatever that is, God, I pray that you would put a heart um, in those students, Lord, to love those that are unlovable, that just seem hard and, and unreachable and unlovely. God, that you would help us to love like you do. And we thank you for that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening. I encourage you to kind of take it, take it with you. Like, you know, if, if the Lord is speaking something to you, maybe tonight or tomorrow, like, go write it down. Right? I have a good friend, Katrin, and she always says, write it down. So then you can, like, see it and continue to pray over it and not forget it. Um, so if you're like me, I'm super ADHD. And I'll, like, have this great time with the Lord. And then I'll, like, the next day completely forget it. So i got to write it down. So I'm like, I'm going to keep praying about this. And I keep learning this until it gets like in my thick head. Um, it's my head is thick. But yeah, I love you guys. <laughs>